This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. What we're going to do is I'm going to start with a question to have the panelists talk about, and then um, I'm hoping these are not very quiet people, so I assume that they will interrupt and talk to each other as well and make it a rather freewheeling Evening, And then I'm going to turn it to Robin, um, who will continue with the questioning, and we'll just have a conversation. And we'll go for about um, probably 20 minutes or so, and then we will, uh, maybe a little bit longer, and then we will open it up to questions, because we're sure that the audience has questions as well, and Robin will mediate that and moderate it. Okay? So I think the, the first question that struck me is, what stands out in this film? There were so many different kinds of messages that were happening. But what stands out from your perspective that's either consistent or you were shocked and surprised that it was there? And um, how do you see this tying in with where we are today and what's happening? You feel, did the film when? Uh, well, we started filming in 2014, February of 2014. Okay. We finished, um, well, we premiered a year ago. Okay, so it's about a year old. So just kind of your own reactions to it. I know there was a lot of laughter going on and there was a lot of <gasps> going on as well. So why don't we start with you, Karen? You know, I, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, the film brought together so much of what we know, but oftentimes... Uh, we as researchers tend to focus in on one element more than another. I think the film did a fantastic job of telling the story about how it's not just one thing. It's so many different things that combined together really are the, the, the real issue. Um, I, I, for me, of course, I, th I thought it was just fascinating how... Um, in my research, I hadn't really explored some of the early history of, of coding and how some of the earliest coders were, were actually women. Um, not really something relevant to what I'm doing, but I found that that is fascinating, and I'm wondering you know, what made that turn happen? What caused it to be you know, something that women were initially brought into, but when and why did it change? Yeah, I thought it was a wonderful film, and uh, it did bring together a lot of themes. Uh, I guess for me, what resonated most was the sort of, just the, the incredible power of stereotypes Absolutely. at all levels. And these stereotypes are not only sort of imposed upon people, but they're really internalized. And, you know, people believe that they are good at things that... They're told they're good, people like them are good at. And they also believe very strongly that they're going to like things. They expect to like things that other people like them like. Right. Mm -hmm. And so these are very, very powerful, and they um, shape aspirations in very important ways. The other thing I think that's very important is to keep in mind is you know, the, just the malleability of these stereotypes and, and you know, the historical change in understandings of programming from male to female um, and I see this in my research uh, cross-nationally. Cross so that understandings of you know, who is a programmer varies not only over time, but also across places. Um, so, yeah, I thought it did a really good job of bringing those themes out. Kanea? Yeah, so, so I, uh, I have been working as a developer for 25-plus years. Um, and 
virtually all of the things in the film, once I saw them in the film for the first time, definitely resonated with me. They all existed. In, in fact, I didn't even recognize that some of those things had, had existed in my world until I saw them kind of articulated that way. Um, the thing that I'll tell you is that I've seen the film a few times now, and each time I pick up on different things. And today I, I have to confess that a good portion of the way in, I was feeling a little heavy-hearted. It felt a little bleak. Um, and, um, but then at the end, there was a, a great message of hope. And, and I, know, I know that there's some, some high school students here and maybe some college students here, and my beautiful, wonderful niece, who is still very good at math, is here <laughs> in the audience. Um, and I, I wanted to make sure that, I wanted to share with everyone that I've been doing this for 25 years, and if I had to do it all over again, I would do it again. Despite the fact that those things happen and those things resonate with me, the, it's overwhelmed by how much fun this is and how fantastic the opportunity is and how things are changing all the time and it's exciting and compelling. And I want to make sure everybody gets that message. And I'm living it every day. And I still have challenges today. And I've been doing it for 25 years. They don't go away. You heard that in the film. But it is so awesome. It's so fun. <laughs> okay, so let me echo this thought, which is it's really an exciting field. Yeah. And I feel privileged and happy to have been in it. And I've gone temporarily and spatially and the movie does resonate a lot of this, which I really liked. And uh, I think some of the subtle things like consumer producer, this resonates with the computer scientist. And this came out. There were subtle things that were there that you could see a binary search tree being drawn on the blackboard. I, that related a lot. <laughs> so it made it very real. And that, I think, is very important. I should also say that being the sole male, the sole kind of... <laughs> computer scientists in the field, education, uh, it makes, I feel, this is the situation that most women feel in the settings that I am typically at. So when I'm at my panels, there's usually one or two women, and the tables are reversed. So I think it's important for, for us to switch these roles every now and then to have that feeling. Well, we didn't do that to you on purpose, by the way. We're really, we're really grateful that you're here. So Very grateful. In fact, I'm curious, Amara, how you, given now that you've seen the film and you see sort of the makeup of a lot of the classrooms and the discussion about being one of the few women in the classroom, how does that compare to your environment here in the computer science department? And, and having seen the film now, does this make you maybe... Think about and approach your female students differently. So we've been... As, so the, comp the composition of classes has changed over the last 20... I've been in the field since the 80s. So when I started, actually, the comment that was made about uh, 1984 is true. When I was an undergraduate, 40, I was in Egypt, in Alexandria, 40% of the class was women. I came here, and the classes were, the, the balance started shifting until in the last decade it's gone down to the teens, which is incredible. I mean, this was not the case before. It is not the same when I go across the world and I give lectures. I see a lot more women 
than I see in my classrooms here. This is changing now. Part of it is due to the great popularity of computer science. And I think we are at a good point to take advantage of this, is that it is so popular. So there are big numbers. Even if the percentages are low, and if you believe that there is a tipping point, I think enough number of women will make the difference. As a computer science department, we are always talking about these things, so it is an issue. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to ask, what do you think has caused that change just recently? Because, uh, you know, you wonder, we were doing so much to try to encourage the math and the STEM with high school and middle school ages, but you still saw numbers dropping of computer science students in the major for a number of years. What's happened recently that started to make that change? Do you think it's anything you're doing with your curriculum, your classes, or do you think it's a more broader societal uh, change. Maybe, I mean, you could talk about this yeah. because it is the field has been changing dramatically. I mean, there are different things, but but specifically think, in the classroom, I think is what Karen's yeah, I, after, I do which is really want to know about the major. I am very interested oh. in, in the industry <laughs> overall, but but really, sorry, Mary, you're not getting off the hook. <laughs> with our introductory class, so that's the with, without any programming, we have about a thirty percent. When you go to the next few classes, it drops down to 25%, 20%. When you are going to the upper division classes, it is in the mid-teens. Yeah. And Those traditionally, I've heard that like the third-level class is the class when traditionally it would be a little bit of a sort of a hazing, a weeder class. Let's see if we can keep kids in this or not. Let's see who's really got the right stuff right, to stay in the class. Obviously, with 500,000 computer science-related jobs open in the United States right this minute... Right? By 2020, there will be over a million computer science-related jobs that we need to fill. We almost have to change that sort of ethos and culture in education to incorporate and try to retain everybody in those classrooms. So how is that done? So we, ha- we have to encourage the, the students. So like I was saying, the beginning <laughs> classes are attracting more females. What needs to happen is that we take some of those that are not necessarily majors and get them into the major. Mm-hmm. And that is the challenge, whether we have enough classroom, whether we have enough space. Yeah. When I, they come from high school, it's a different, yeah. the percentage is what you see. When you saw what Marie Clave yes. did at, at Harvey mm-hmm. Mudd, yeah. and Dan Garcia at UC Berkeley has done an amazing job as well. Right, and I, I wanted to add that I had an intern last summer who came, who is actually it, it produced from, that UC, from UC Berkeley, and from that success, she entered uh, UC Berkeley as a chemistry major. And then she was interested in maybe taking a programming class. And Berkeley does something very interesting. They have two different intro classes. One that is catered towards and tends to attract students who already have experience when they come into the university. And they have another one, which is taught, I believe, in Python, which is a less popular language. And that was hugely successful. She had never been exposed to programming and chose that class. Mm -hmm. So she was in an environment where she did not feel out of place. She did not feel like everyone around her knew way more than she did. And that was the catalyst for her. And she's now second year interning, and she loves it, and she's phenomenal at it. Maria, I'm really interested in... um what I call the programmer scene. Mm-hmm. So Pax Dickinson is really the only programmer I was able to get on film. Um, he sort of speaks for himself. We had to work that and rework that a lot, that scene. 
When we first had him um, on scene and we did a test market, people, you would have thought we put the Unabomber on the film. They were like, get him off, get him off, he's horrible. And, and so we reworked it to a position that, you know, you've seen, you've seen it now. But I'm, I'm curious. It's still creepy. But. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated from a, from a yep. psychological perspective, you know, perspective what you think. Well, I have to admit that that was the first time I've heard of programmers. Um, but I sort of know the character. I hadn't heard the term before. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's just, it just epitomizes everything that, that would turn off an eighth-grade girl. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of uh, the, the other, and that's the problem, is that when people don't see computer scientists as people like them, they don't imagine themselves doing that. And we have, a, we have a society where we're told, we tell our kids, uh, do what you love, follow your passion, you know. And so it's all about self-realization. And if self-realizing yourself means, you know, um, sort of acclimating yourself to a culture like that, um, not very many girls are going to aspire to that. Right? Can I ask yeah. a question about that? The thing that appalled me about the film was the Barbie book. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right? That's, oh, my God. I kept thinking about if I had bought that to my granddaughters, I would have insisted I got my money back immediately, right? Um, but in that book, one of the things that is so striking for me is how corporate America didn't get it and publish that book. You'd think yeah. any editor would look at that and say, no, 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 you don't have the boys solve the problem. And so how is that happening, that even when we're trying to do the right thing, we sort of end up reproducing that very problem that we're trying to solve? And, and by the way, yeah. that was written by a woman. Yeah. <laughs> it was, true story. Wow. That was written by a woman and published in 2010. It just sort of came out in 20, what was it, 13, yeah. 2014, because wow. somebody got a hold of it. And Mattel has gotten to be such a big corporation that they obviously had sort of, you know, delegated that out to someone who, who wrote the book, and I'm, obviously they, they lost track of what was happening with it. But, um, yeah, hard to find. In fact, when we tried to find the footage for the Teen Talk Barbie, Math Class is Tough, yeah. it was so well scrubbed because Mattel is so powerful that they completely scrubbed it, took it from every archive. We had to go to Canada to find it. Wow. <laughs> True. Yeah. Wow. I, I want to add something to that, that story about the, that the book being written by a woman. I have a confession to make. I have unconscious bias. And when I meet another female computer scientist, I'm surprised. It, it just, that's the way my brain has categorized it because I've seen so few that I make that categorization. And so we all have those unconscious biases. That author had that unconscious bias that allowed her to write that book. And the editors had that unconscious bias that allowed them to publish that book. And we all have them. Yep. And recognizing that we have them is the first step toward being able to actually say, well, wait a minute, is there something weird here? Absolutely. And you know, if it happens in, a corporate, in corporate America, we also have to think as parents and grandparents Absolutely. and so on, what are we also doing that can unconsciously, I mean, have those same kinds of effects? Are we encouraging our daughters to go towards the pink and the... Of course the, we are. We bring them yeah. home in pink blankets from the hospitals. Absolutely, absolutely. And we give them dolls and things like that. And Legos but, made pink 
Right. Legos. And Legos, of course, the Lego queen over yeah. here. Yes. Yeah. But, but, you know, what's interesting is, and I think it's interesting also related to what you do, um, here in the United States, we, parents are such big proponents because part of my research is, is looking at, you know, what are parents telling their kids about careers and what they should do. And a lot of parents, of course, say, well, do what you love. You've got to choose the career that you love. Of course, most of them don't have a clue as to what that would be. But here in the U.S., it's all focus on what you love, but in other countries, that is not always the case. In those underdeveloped countries, a lot of them are encouraging their kids, boys and girls, to go into something that's lucrative. It's not do what you love. It's you need to do this because this is where the money is and this is where you can get ahead. You'd be surprised how often, though, in the United States, too, I talk to people who who told them, me that mm-hmm. their own parents said, oh, my God, do not go into computer science. You're going to be, you're going to be in the basement yeah. eating stale pizza until yeah. 3 a.m. You're going to never find a husband. Right. You're going to be so bored, you know. Sure. Seriously. And so there's also, you know, I think that, that I think it's not just international. I think it's here as well. Um, but you're right. It's everywhere. But, but they're trying to tell them, don't do that because you won't enjoy it. Yeah. You, enjoyment is the, is the big thing, of course. So we need to promote. There's a different image, you know. Think of Google now. You get free food. You get a lot of fun. <laughs> this is the idea, and that is the Dry new image. The, that's right. You just have everything, yeah. and that's a different image. We're from the garage, and that's the Steve Jobs kind of image that we have. The right. movie just came out. You know, it just that promotes the older image. There is a new image, I think, that is there. The field is changing. It is expanding a lot, and I think this is our opportunity. I mean, it is an opportunity in terms of the scale of the numbers and in the diversity. We have people in film studies. We have people in digital humanities. We have people across the campus doing things that I do, that is computer science. And I think that message is is still not out. But that's exactly right, and that's one of the reasons it was important for us when we were making the film to show Danielle Feinberg at Pixar and to show that she was, you know, that, that actually there's a string of code behind the way Merida's hair bounces and brave, right? I mean, when girls realize that, that's cool to them. That you can take it into medicine, that you can take it into, you know, design, into fashion. I mean, coding's at the base of pretty much everything at this point. So, Cornelia, how did you get beyond those barriers? What kept you in, you know, despite the microaggressions, <laughs> despite being the only woman in the room... I, I think just I loved what I was doing. I just loved what I was doing, loved solving problems. Um, and I really had just so much fun with it. Uh, the other thing that I will tell you is that um, when I was earlier on in my career, uh, there was less of it. It's, it. My impression is that it's actually gotten worse. It being? It being that the either flagrant or kind of under the, under the radar um, sexism and, and, and microaggressions have gotten worse. And, and I do think that's probably reflected a little bit in the statistics and the decline of women going into computer science as a study and so on. The other thing is that we saw the pipeline. You had a beautiful graphic in the film where throughout the career it gets tougher and tougher. And that I felt much more myself. So I feel it more now than I did early on in my career. Early on in my career, perhaps I was just fortunate to be surrounded. I do remember interviewing somebody for a job and this gentleman walking in and saying, huh, 
a female engineer. I was like, ha, not hiring you. <laughs> so, how old were you when you figured out that you loved this? I, I was very, very lucky. I was a junior in high school. Um, way, 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 way too cool for computing. Way too cool for computing. And ended up in a, I was very lucky, I was at a school, this was in 1981, I was at a high school where they had a computer programming class. And I went to the class reluctantly, and I wrote a four-line program, and when I ran it, I was hooked. Mm. And I just, it, and I loved it so much, and it's just, I, I always loved math, I, always, I was the kid in the back of the car that was doing like the logic puzzles when we were on driving trips, so it just clicked for me. I think yeah, I think the problem is that a lot of kids don't find out soon enough what they love, and you know they're all they're told to do what they love, and they generally don't know what they do what yeah. they love until they do it, and then they you know we also have the option of dropping out of math fairly early in the secondary system here, so you know after. Um, Two, two years in high school, you, you, you can be done with yeah. math. So is that societal messages? I mean, is it, is it the pressure that we use, the fact that when you're watching television and you, you know, everything that's coming down from Hollywood, that you don't see women in STEM, you don't see women that are likable and agreeable and, <coughs> and women like them? I mean, Karen, I, what do you think about... Well, absolutely, definitely. I mean, when you don't see the role models, you don't see yourself in it, you have to be able to envision yourself in it. Instead, we're getting other kinds of messages, certainly, and that really, unfortunately, hasn't changed. And I guess it's also just related to um, the media, of course. Um, If you look at movies that are geared towards girls and women, you don't see very many computer scientists who are women in those in those films. They're just not depicted in that way. There's still we still see the stereotypical kinds of women's roles, and um, so I, certainly it contributes. So when CSI came out, within five years there was a 75 percent increase yep. in the number of girls that wanted to start studying forensics. That's the kind of influence that Hollywood can have. Absolutely. When I did my research on on, um, high school girls, you asked them, what do you want to be? I want to be an attorney. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a CSI. Why? Because I watched Grey's Anatomy, because I watched CSI, because I saw Legally Blonde. Huge effect on them. Sorry. No, it's so true. That's absolutely right. Amir, do you have a daughter? Yes. And uh, one of them is an engineer. And so I have to say, it's grassroots starting <laughs> lower down. Yeah. So lower. So Dos Pueblos High School, for example, here has an engineering academy, and that played an important role. I know lots of girls who are in this, friends of my daughter, who became engineers, and some of them became computer scientists. You had the black girls. Black girls code. I know of Ada. The Brenner is uh, the daughter of uh, Bjorn, and, uh, who, who, is also, who has a company that teaches basically coding to girls and the disadvantaged communities. These grassroots movements do have an effect, I think. They are small, but it's little by little. No, absolutely, I agree with you. I actually think that we have to get beyond the grassroots. We need to get it into our school system starting in kindergarten. <laughs> We have got to get it in so that it's incorporated not as a computer science class, but something that's integrated into each classroom across the way. So that there's no reason in fifth grade it can't be part of science class and you are writing a string of code to visualize a data set when you're dissecting frogs. But One you know, thing I... Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say related to that, I, I think your film, though, very well depicts one of the big problems with that, though, is we don't have the teachers to be able to do that. True. It's a problem. Which uh, would be fantastic yeah. if we did. Yeah. We need more teachers. We need more instructors who can teach a lot of people. Yeah. And I would even change the word to facilitators. Yeah. So if, we're intimid- if they're intimidated to be teaching, if they know the seven-year-old's going to know more about it than they do, then fine, learn how to facilitate it and what better dynamic, really, when a seven-year-old knows a lot about something and then the 45-year-old teacher has the maturity to be able to help incorporate that education? I, I want to add a, a suggestion. So we, we, at Pivotal, we, in part because of the involvement that we've had with the film, um, diversity and gender diversity has become a, a very, very big theme for us. And so I was having a conversation with a colleague recently um, And I was chatting with him, and he said, you know what I started doing? I started doing coding play dates with my my daughter and her friends. So I love that you just used the word facilitator. And I recognize that not everybody, not every parent has that ability to be able to do coding play dates. But you know what? His, His daughter's friends, they had the opportunity to be part of that coding play date. So if you do have that, Ability, or you know somebody, you have a, a nephew or a brother or somebody, start doing coding play dates. Let's do this organically. There, there's a way that we can start. Or learn it all together from one of these amazing, absolutely. you know, absolutely. I want to get a sense of um, audience questions. Do we have some questions that are out there? We, we do. Great. We have all right. some mics. So. Uh, hi, I'm the chair of the CS department here at the UCSB, and uh, uh, we have been thinking about all our faculty members. You have, you have heard from Amri, you have, you have heard from Phil. We have all been thinking about these issues, about how to, how to change things uh, the, the way they are. What we are faced with uh, right now is the fact that uh, out of a certain number of uh, slots that we have in our major, a large ratio of that gets filled in from the high schools, when people get into as freshmen. And that itself is not a diverse pool. That's very much male-dominated pool. So we are, we are left with, I would say, a small number of slots in which women who haven't thought about uh, CS in their high schools, they come in, they take their courses, and they think about changing. So right now, there is not enough of a scope for us to, uh, to have the change of majors that are actually, that have changed their mind. They have taken the first few courses, and they would like to change their majors. So some more thinking about what the pipelines are, what is in those pipelines, and making sure that we give everyone some chance, and we have to solve it. So it is a problem, but to solve it, one needs to inspect those pipelines and make one of them, which is right now 210, make it bigger. What's the gender ratio for your freshman admins? I would say it would be, um, my guess is it will be about one is with eight about 12 to 15%. Can I I just say something about that pipeline? Because I think that pipeline not only doesn't have 
women in it to the same degree, but it doesn't have kids who are first-generation mm-hmm. college in it. Right. It doesn't have your Latina, Latino students. It doesn't have many of our minorities. And one of the things I loved about your film was even though it was the gender gap, it clearly is the other gap, right? Mm-hmm. It's the gap of all those who weren't part of the mainstream. So I think as we think through a lot of our solutions, we need to think about women, definitely. Women of color, definitely, definitely, right? I mean, we have so many groups that this pipeline has really privileged a particular group, and we need to look at the others. So one of the issues also is gaming, right? If most games are marketed toward boys... And so and this is beginning to shift and change, but what that means is that by the first time most kids have an opportunity to even take a computer science class, it's an AP class in, his, in uh, high school, their junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's pretty much the first time in most schools. So when you get to college, you have to take a prerequisite. And there's just one CS10 or whatever it is that there's prerequisite. Well, the men in the class have been gaming since they were seven. They've been finding cheats. They've been playing Minecraft. They're so enthusiastic and excited about this opportunity to actually now be sharing this passion of theirs that unknowingly they intimidate some of the women in the class that also have to be in that classroom because it's a prerequisite. They might be entering there as, you know, it's a 101 class. They're like, let me just see it. I've heard this is great. I've heard they're great jobs. It's lucrative. Let me see if I like it. And they immediately have this sense of ambient belonging that they don't belong because there are fewer women in the class and because they get right away that the men in the classroom know a lot more about it than they do. So there has to be a way to section off some of that, to not curtail the enthusiasm of the men, because that's wonderful too, but to find a way to bring up and support those people that haven't had that same advantage by having the fundamentals of coding and the basics of logic underneath them. Um, And I really believe that's the only way that we're going to retain them and bring them on to the next level. So that's what you were proposing yep. at Berkeley, and that's what we are doing. There is like a beginning class for with no background and a beginning class with background. Right. And so let I, me say that they are not eventually any better, the yeah. boys who are hackers. It actually might actually confuse things. Yeah. So. <laughs> are, are, so you are definitely seeing differences based on now that new way of structuring your courses so that so that the students are in some ways separated, those that have had experience to those that haven't? Do you, have you noticed any difference? Do we have enough of experience with it? I'm not don't so know sure. It doesn't look like I you're very hopeful. Yeah. All right, we're going to go to another question. Thank you for that. Another, there we go. Hi. I'm a third-year CS student in the major here, and I actually wanted to piggyback off of your question, because immediately, as soon as we started seeing the movie, my question was, well, great, I know a ton of people who want to get into the CS major here at UCSB. A ton of them are women, a ton of them are minorities. Every year, for people who come in as non-CS majors, there's about 20 spots for people to join the major. I just wanted, I know there's a couple of CS faculty in the audience. I'm just interested in hearing about some of the things that are being done to address that because directly at UCSB it doesn't feel like a lack of interest it literally feels like a lack of space very hard really great question by the way I just want to say that this is not unique to UCSB I mean this is the problem computer science classes across the nation are filled they're full 
and they don't have a huge incentive or the funds, the resources to make it a bigger department. So, good question. I think you need to go to the administration and tell them to give us bigger classrooms. I mean, you can ask my students. I was teaching 138, and the class was full, literally. I mean, there was no sitting room, and there were 35 students on the waiting list. This means that we don't have, I couldn't have enough classes. Then we don't have enough faculty. So then we don't have enough TAs. So it is, at the moment, a matter of resources, frankly. But what's crazy is that the industry is so desperate, and the industry is not lacking in funds. Um, so there's got to be some type of industry-university partnership here where we can figure out. That, that seems in, inherent. I'm not a, an economist or I, I'm a computer scientist, but this feels like a solvable problem. We have the, an industry that needs more, that has a lot of money, and we have institutions that, are, that, have, that have the desire to produce more. And well, we also need to look together. Sorry, no offense here, but we also need to look beyond the four-year college. And we have to get back into the mindset of trade schools, and we're not good at that as Americans. But we need to start looking at thinking about, okay, can Microsoft actually hire from a two-year boot camp or a you know, two-year university, but more of a trade school mentality because that's what we need. You know, you've heard it. The, the, the schools cannot increase their computer science departments, not easily anyway. So. That's clearly one of the problems. But the other, one of the other problems in this movie was when women came into it, they didn't stay. They didn't maintain. They left. So we can open up as many pipelines as we want. But as a group, I mean, in CITS, we talk about this all the time at my center, right? That you have young women who are interested and then they no longer are. So we have to, it's a multimodal problem and we need to think about some of those other things as well. We need to improve improve corporate culture. But don't you think part of the reason that they're not staying is because they are in such a minority when they get there so they're not treated with respect by their (coughs) colleagues and so if there were more women in the positions, that might not be the case. Yeah, being a minority is very difficult. There's all kinds of, you know, processes that play out on minorities, and you feel that you're very visible. You have a lot of performance anxiety because you're a stand-in for all members of your group. Um, so things start to play out, and there's self-fulfilling prophecies that, that happen. as, as Stereotype threat. Yeah. Yeah. When... Uh, at the Center for Information Technology and Society, when I saw the opportunity to bring this film, my dream was that we would have this and we would have the kinds of discussions and have computer scientists and have social scientists and have people in industry come together to start thinking and talking about it. Because I think the first thing is we have to think when we go home, how do we talk to our children? When we do the kind of research we do, how are we going to operate in our teams? When we do go to the office, when we're playing golf on the course, how do we behave? All of those things are part of this process. And it's been a pleasure to have you. I am thrilled with the audience and that you all stayed. It's fantastic. Um, and unfortunately, we need to call it a night. So thank you very much for the You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.